Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Regina. So we are currently at work on season three of Bottom of the Map. But in the meantime, so you don't forget about us, we decided to share some of our favorite joints from season one. Y'all check this out. I'm ready. Okay. Let's see. How you ready to record this week's episode? Yes, let's do it. How do we want to begin this conversation? There um, are more than white people in outer space. That is all. <laughs> <laughs> and it just cuts to the music. Yes. What's happening? I'm writer, researcher, and professor Dr. Regina Bradley. I'm music journalist Christina Lee. From WABE and PRX, this is Bottom of the Map, taking hip-hop conversation in a new direction. So today we're going to be talking about Afrofuturism and more specifically about how Southern hip hop has modernized our ideas of Afrofuturism. You may have noticed that, you know, the hottest place to be, according to some of these rappers, is a Wakanda. Mm. Of course, we're going to explain like what Afrofuturism is, what like some of the acts that became the basis of Afrofuturism as we know it. And of course, future. interesting about the term is that like Afrofuturism was coined in 1994, which is at least several decades after some of the more formative works that would come to be defined as Afrofuturism sort of mm-hmm, came out, mm-hmm. right? The term was coined by the writer named Mark Derry, and he was basically saying in his essay, Black to the Future, like, we have this genre called sci-fi. Our mainstream quote-unquote ideas of sci-fi look an awful lot like Blade Runner, where the future is overwhelmingly white and the cityscapes look somewhat like Tokyo. It's like black folks in particular are equipped to explore these sci-fi narratives and they've been doing it. It's just that folks haven't really had this umbrella term to really recognize it as such. Afrofuturism isn't just, you know, motherfuckers going to space. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's bigger than that. Sometimes, you know, folks go back in time. They revise. They, you know, re-envision, so to speak. And I think that that's one of the significances of thinking about what Afrofuturism is, is that it allows folks to reconsider where they fit into these spaces and societies Mm -hmm. that otherwise have pushed them to the side. One thing I noticed is that folks love to say that they're coming out of Wakanda, too. And the way that they talk about it is like, you know, this is like the hottest place to be right now. From like Megan Thee Stallion, like Gucci Mane or whatever, like there's like a increasing number of Wakanda references like cropping up and that just kind of goes to show you like the mainstream response that Black Panther had seen right like Black Panther was like a blockbuster sensation and I feel like that is one really easy connection that music has made uh, to Afrofuturism at least in like the modern day I mean even if you think about the soundtrack like I think that that's um, well there's you know the two two soundtracks you have the score um, which is gorgeous but you also have like the Kendrick Lamar produced soundtrack and I'm just thinking like sonically What's interesting about this idea of Afrofuturism is that we're including what what the future sounds like, like literally what the future sounds like. Right. And Kendrick is leading that charge. And this isn't like Kendrick all of a sudden decided, hey, I want to think about what the future sounds like. He's been doing that in his music since he's been on the scene. But I think for him to like centralize that idea of possibility 
Mm-hmm. And futurism using the Black Panther movie was really, really dope. Yeah. And then meanwhile, the present day just sounded like King's Dead, you know? Yeah. With how that was bumping out of cars and everything. And, you know, with Future doing his old operatic turn on Slava Manov. Man, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I still <clears throat> don't like it. <laughs> I mean, like, you have J-Rock who is writing this beat. You're just like, oh, shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have Future coming here with some la-di-da-di-da. And I'm just Let like, me tell you sir, something, sir. That is my favorite part of the whole song. It's a lot of people's favorite part of the whole song. We're so gonna have I, to fight. We gonna have to because I just feel like, <laughs> I mean, and you know, it's it's not that it was bad, but I didn't like it. I cannot like it. You know what I'm saying? So you have like J Rock who comes in and like rides on this beat. You know what I'm saying? It's smooth. Like he's like in and out, boom, boom, boom. And then you kind of have Future. He doesn't necessarily stumble along, but he doesn't like ride the beat like J Rock just did. And then you have Kendrick come in with this ridiculous transition. That you hear in the movie is when, you know, Killmonger becomes King of Wakanda. All hell King Killmonger. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just like, what? Sir, you could have represented us better than this. This is. <laughs> no, I wholly, wholeheartedly disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree. Future's Grammy-winning part in King's Dead just happens to be my favorite part of the whole song. I don't care. In <laughs> <laughs> fact, that might be the sound of Afrofuturism in the future anyway. Future? Yes! Shall buy. Listen, mm-mm, he's mm-mm. From, he hails from Pluto. He calls himself Future. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, so to speak. Are you talking about Sun Ra? <laughs> yes, I'm talking about the man Sun Ra, who's originally from Birmingham, Alabama, but he's like, no, I'm tired of y'all and y'all racist asses. I'm from space. Saturn, <laughs> specifically. <laughs> like Saturn. Yes. You're not from like Mercury. You're not from like Pluto. Nah, bruh. You said Saturn with the rings around it. And you everything. Know? And everything. Love and light interested me so that I dared to knock. I think that's so significant. I mean, like, he was literally trying to world build. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, extremely important. Even with his name, like, Sun Ra, I'm like, he's pulling from, like, Egyptology. Did you ever see Space is the Place? Like, yes. the short film that he has? Mm-hmm. I watched it recently, and wow, it is a ride. The music is different here. The vibrations are different. Not like Planet Rave. Planet Rave sound of guns, anger, frustration. There was no one to talk to from Planet Rave, you understand. We set up a colony of black people here. See what they can do on the planet all their own without any white people there. They could drink in the beauty of this planet. It would affect their vibrations. For the better, of course. 
another place in the universe, up on a different star. A lot of folks say he is like one of the forefathers of Afrofuturism, you know, because he was thinking about black folks outside of these spaces that were trying to oppress them. And he presented Afrofuturism as an act of freedom, as an act of liberation that um, other groups, such as George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, come into play. Star child here, citizens of the universe. I bring forth to you the good time on the mothership. Are you here? I think they got roots or roots in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So there's that, um, there is that aspect of, of this idea of funk. It also makes me think about like migrations. Okay. Talk to me about it. So what I mean by that is, you know, when we think about migrations in the South, we think about probably like the early 20th century, like the great migration. So like Southern black folks scared for their lives, running to the North for economic opportunity and stuff like that. The reality of that is, is that, you know, it's an act of trying to escape. So, like, the ideas of escapism that are associated with Afrofuturism can be connected back to the literal escapes, you know, during uh, enslavement, during the slavery times. You know what I'm saying? So, it's always that nod back to the past in order to push us towards the future. Absolutely. You know, in addition to thinking about, like, the, the escape routes, so to speak, the idea of the North Star, the ideology behind the North Star, right? Um, sometimes it was called the drinking gourd. You know, have you ever heard that? It's like, yeah. you know, like follow the drinking gourd. Right. And the drinking gourd was literally the Big Dipper where the North Star was. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there's always like this idea of es- not necessarily escapism, but like how do I get to how do I get to freedom? And I think that funk music, especially the acts like Sun Ra and Parliament of Funkadelic, really kind of take that and literally run with it. Yeah. Like, okay, how do we escape? What does that look like? What does that sound like? Like, even with the elements, they, they're giving you these different worlds to play around with. Probably one of my favorite Earth, Wind & Fire songs is Fantasy. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, just the opening yeah, already takes you on a journey. Yeah. You don't have to be on nothing. Right. You just be like, you just enjoy, you know what I'm saying, like, where they're going, what's going on with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the encouragement to think about joy and happiness is, as an act of world building is something that Earth, Wind & Fire really nails home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that artists continue to pick up on because Earth, Wind & Fire is heavily sampled. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Sampling is the DNA of hip-hop. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like that DNA might have shifted a little bit, but it's still the DNA of hip-hop. What about you? What are some of the other folks that you think about when you think about like funk and hip hop? 
I mean, not specifically regarding to funk, but like when you're talking about uh, the hip hop connection specifically and how sampling becomes part of, you know, the genres like DNA, mm -hmm. I automatically think of Africa Mimbata. African Bambata from, you know, pretty much the onset with Planet Rock was sampling Kraftwerk. And mm -hmm. I don't know how intimately you've listened to Kraftwerk. No, I'm going to tell you how intimately I've listened to Kraftwerk. My daddy <laughs> had all of their tapes. Hey! So you remember Computer Love. Did you ever sing along to it? That was so Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Trans Express. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I was listening. My daddy made sure I knew about the music. You know, even when, like, Kraftwerk that's coming out of Germany mm -hmm. is still adding to this conversation. When we're talking about Afrofuturism, I think the hip hop connection is very clearly like mapped out. So if you're just looking at some of the acts that we had talked about, and then you go back to uh, this essay, Black to the Future, like all of these acts, all these acts are cited in this essay and they would become formative in hip hop as well. So Mark Derry comes up with the term and then Alondra Nelson takes the term and runs with it, like makes this like an academic form of, of inquiry to the first where you get folks like, you know, Ronaldo Anderson, Susanna Morris, Clint Fluker, you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, I mean, like it is the realm of possibility in impossible spaces. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I love that. It's like, you know, what can what can I make possible in spaces that otherwise tell me that I'm impossible? Octavia Butler comes to mind because, you know, literary nerd, you know what I mean? Like, I love all of her shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I do. I mean, like, you know, she, she's really, you know, amazing. And some folks might immediately go to, you know, something like Kindred. Kindred is like a time travel story. You know, you have a black woman named Dana who's married to a white man. She goes back in time. She has to save her white ancestor who doesn't see her as family. I'm just going to mm -hmm. say it like that because some folks might want to read it. You know what I'm saying? There's also the illustrated version um, that's done by John Jennings. That's just ridiculous. If you haven't seen it, you have to see that shit. It's amazing, right? Um, the parable series that she has is more dystopic, meaning like, you know, what happens if society completely collapses on itself? Right. So like, you know, parable of the sower, parable of the talents. Um, so there's things like that. She also has like vampire stuff with like wild seed and it's, I it's love awesome. It. I mean, she just, she really just thinks about you know where do we fit right mm -hmm. and then that makes room for other folks like sherry renee thompson this idea of black folks can't fit into science fiction spaces and unfortunately even in 2019 there is still talk that oh there's not enough representation in space not even just in space just you know in these types of of, of areas because uh. like oh black folks don't do horror the fuck you say we uh, do more we uh. don't do science fiction um so i mean like she is like she's not necessarily the gatekeeper she is the jump off point mm -hmm. for thinking about you know the literary part of that comics are you a comics person I more so read like Archie comics and stuff, but like <laughs> okay, Archie is okay. He ain't out for futurism though. Definitely no, not. Riverdale was overwhelmingly white. <laughs> yes, I'm glad you said it, not me. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, comics come to mind. So like Blade, some folks might think about Blade. Well, I've seen Blade. Listen, Wesley Snipes. I'm sorry, we're talking about the movie adaptation now. No, I mean, but I'm like, there's definitely the movie adaptation, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. a lot of folks will say that, you know, you wouldn't have a lot of these superheroes, these science fiction black superheroes without 
blade. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. Half human. Blade's mother was attacked by a vampire while she was pregnant. More recently, you have the rise of Black Panther. Oh, of course. You know what I'm saying? Of course. Um, you know, and, and clearly folks will tell you Atlanta is the real life Wakanda. Well, I mean, the, the <laughs> film, like, a lot of it was filmed in Atlanta, so it was really easy to make that joke, right? So if you look at T'Challa, there's a couple things I want to point out. Okay. T'Challa went to MIT. Mm -hmm. So he's hella smart. He went mm -hmm. to MIT. Mm -hmm. He's also the richest dude in the Marvel Universe, and some mm -hmm. would argue in the DC Universe, mm -hmm. because you have this thing called vibranium, which if you think about like the the creators of Black Panther, you know what I'm saying? Like a Stan Lee and a Jack Kirby. Yeah. Like for them to articulate this idea of blackness that had not been corrupted by colonialism mm -hmm. was some radical shit, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Even like the idea of vibranium, um, I just think it's really like the subtle idea of black folks like to move, so that, that idea of vibrations and vibrating and moving. I, I can that. go on and on about I Black Panther. That. I can go on about Black Panther. You know what I'm saying? But I think what I was trying to get at is even with, you know, the antagonist, so to speak, with a Killmonger or a Njadaka, mm -hmm, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Comic-wise, he also went to MIT before he went into the military. You know what, uh, what I'm saying? So there's also uh -huh. like... It's PhDs versus PhDs. And I'm like, how revolutionary is that shit? You have two black men, two African men who have PhDs from one of the most prominent science institutions in the world. Yeah, yeah. That is some Afrofuturist shit. Afrofuturism isn't at all exclusive to Southern hip hop. Of course, we have, you know, Public Enemies, Fear of a Black Planet, first of all. True. Uh, we have Raz G, you know, rest in peace. He was part of Flying Lotus's Brain Feeder label, which was full of artists that feel like direct descendants of Sun Ra, mm. from like a Flying Lotus to a Thundercat to a Kamasi Washington. And then, of course, we have Ishmael Butler, who you may know from Digwell Planets, but went on to form Shabazz Palaces, which, you know, is Afrofuturism to the core. They terrorize what they fell in battle. I pop jail shot, I swallow out Bell Seattle. I hear the chatter, but to me it ain't matter. I'm off a stamp passport with some cake batter, get mad. Of course, I bag it. They shot him battle. He's the former, I'm the latter. And then we also have these newer acts, like I'm looking at Jamila Woods, I'm looking at Samus, you know, like these are folks from all over the country that are sort of like exploring with themes of Afrofuturism. But when it comes to the South. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know why we're here. Obviously, when it comes to Southern hip hop and Afrofuturism, the first people I think of are 8-Ball and MJG, and that's because of their space age ass pimping. Yes, yes, space age ass pimping. That's the remix. <laughs> <laughs> How you feel when we communicate We'll be straight If you express your mind Instead of preferring to wait Some who can't do it Lose women But nigga like me Used to it Space age pimp Outcast is particularly interesting because if you think back to their 1995 Source Awards, mm -hmm. you know, where Andre 3000 famously said the South got something to say. He ain't even three stacks yet. But he ain't he's, even he's three stacks yet. Exactly. He's maybe like Andre one and a half thousand. Go ahead. 
thank you for offering that context. I feel like in this particular setting, like this becomes like a man in the moon moment for like for Outcast. You know, it's like immediately after that moment, after they had been booed left and right by East Coast and West Coast, they went on to do AT Aliens, mm-hmm. like speaking directly to that theme. And really that album kind of speaks to the isolation that they felt as Southern hip hop artists. And the fact that they were gonna embrace that as well, that was gonna be like a calling card for them. East Point, smokes a bank, call it all in the eye, be paid on, uh, old national box gangs, everybody, uh, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's the M.I. Cricket letter. Ain't no one better. I mean, like, but they were thinking about, like, Afrofuturist shit before AT Aliens. Talk about it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you listen to the track Deep. Okay. Okay. And, you know, it starts off with Greetings, Earthlings. Greetings, Earthlings. AT Aliens starts off with Greetings, Earthlings. They were already thinking futuristically yeah um and i think that that goes back to their ideas of themselves and this idea of continuously evolving their music you know what i'm saying like they can't be just into this one box so like if we're introduced to them as atlantans mm-hmm. they're like okay we got this by the source awards we got this by hip-hop basically they're like fuck it we going to space you know what i'm saying right um and just that whole album like you know i was talking to charlie braxton about this album um, charlie braxton you know who famously wrote the five mic review yes yes mm-hmm. for the source he is he is instrumental about how we understand southern hip-hop we love you charlie um but yeah he was talking about how like the first time he listened to it like he turned off all the lights in his house it wow. just like blasted at aliens wow and he was like it took you on a journey he was like it, it put him in the mindset of a parliament in a funkadelic and i think it's important to like point out that outcast has an extended relationship with afrofuturism like don't mm. get it twisted it wasn't just like at aliens you know what i'm saying so if like okay if at aliens was like the possibilities for them as southerners and southern artists then equimini with you know synthesizer Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? With, with George Clinton. With George is like the warning about too much of a good thing. Nice news. 20th century technology. Has a computer age scientist and doctors gone too far? Einstein or Frankenstein? Dr. Scholes or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Are we digging into new ground or digging our own grave? Story at a really like ahead of their time so like all of the shit that we're dealing with now like folks on their phone all the time and you know all technology everything and i don't want to stand in line let me just go through the self-checkout oh man <laughs> you're right they were warning us about that shit God damn. in like 98 of toxic wasted doctors computer bugging debugging devicer and vice versa and various viruses forming with laser light precision and verbal incision void linguistic ballistic lobotomy mind fucking you with psychosodomy of the medulla oblongata except your mind down your spine and out your behind and then you get into like you know speaker box and the love below so i mean like speaker box is like its own type of like world building you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying this is like big boy trying to articulate himself in a particular way that's separate from dre at this point mm-hmm. um and then you have andre come out with the love below and prototype in particular comes to mind for me aha uh-huh. uh-huh. you know what i'm saying and uh-huh. prototype so like you know we're talking about video so he comes out as an alien at alien Traveling 3,000 light years from their home planet Proto, a small family of extra extraterrestrials visits Earth. Moments upon landing, they experience the rarest of all human emotion, love. 
I mean, like, he's always revisiting that idea that aliens are among us. We just don't pay attention. Man. You know right. what I'm saying? Um, and I mean, like, putting that in conversation with, like, the current conversation about immigrant reform. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really feel like, you know, that is a, I mean, it's something like aliens among us. You know, these are people. You Feels know? very like, prescient. It's very prescient. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are people. Can we treat them with respect? You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. I think that, you know, Outcast really plays with that. But you brought up Three Stacks Man on the Moon moment. Something I really find interesting about Andre is that this idea of futurity does two things for me. One, okay. it's almost like he's running from the present because mm-hmm. it's too much for him. I feel like he's like an introvert of the introvert of the introvert. Pretty much. Um, but the other part of that is, is also like him trying to navigate this newfound fame that he has. Ah, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So like yeah. it's Dre, you know, this is him coming out of Atlanta. This is like East Point all day, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, when you get to Neck of the Woods mm-hmm. from the Woods soundtrack. Like for me, that's I think that's the first time I've heard him refer to himself as Andre 3000, the year to fear is already here. Ah, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. it kind of just stuck. But yeah. I mean like, you know, when did the wood come out? 99, 2000. So we're already on the cusp of a new millennium and he's like, "Okay, I need to, you know, constantly evolve and change this around." Yeah. Um so, I mean, like, yeah, Outkast has always been thinking about the future and the futurities, not just for themselves, but, like, you know, for Southern black folks in general. So, yeah, yeah. there's my dissertation. That's my <laughs> dissertation for the day. Um, but, you know, you know who else can go into this, like, genealogy of mm-hmm. space ageness? Mm-hmm. There's a couple of folks. Um, you know, what about Crit? Oh, my God. Well, I feel like with Crit in particular, like, first of all, he had been trying to tell us from the get-go, like, with images of the Cadillac that he was going to take us to the future, right? And then he comes out with an album by the name of Catalactica. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and be perfectly clear about it. He was a mixtape artist that was transitioning to becoming a major label artist. Like he, so he was at Def Jam at this point, but he was still used to kind of like sampling at his own will and not having necessarily to worry about like sample clearances. He's not necessarily beholden to like delivering like a radio single. Mm-hmm. So in order to rebel from all that, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna make myself a goddamn planet. Um, I'm gonna call it Catalactica. And um, what was really interesting about it was that like when uh, my former Rolling Stone editor, Christopher Weingarten, was talking about like, well, where do these ideas come from? He was like, listen, I grew up in the age of space age pimping. You know, this is directly in my hip hop lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him, it was just a natural next step in order for him to sort of like flex on his creativity. I mean, and also his name is an acronym, King Remembered in Time. C-A-D-I-L-L-A-C-D-I-C-A. C-A-D-I-L-L-A-C-T-I-C-A-K-R-I-T forever. I think future is a really important part of this conversation. No, he is. So let's 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 give him his just due. Okay, so talk. You you lead me through it, man. Through the lore of future. Okay. Mm-hmm. So once he ditched the moniker Meathead, which I think was I'm sorry. What Meathead? You don't remember when he was a Meathead? That's unfortunate. And so he calls his cousin Rico Wade, who just so happens to be one third of Organized Noise, and is like, listen. Help a guy out here. <laughs> and Rico was like, fine, you know, you can come come chill in the dungeon. You'll come, come shadow, you know, some of the studio sessions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, definitely try to find your own lane. And that's how you get somebody like a future. And Did he dub him future? I feel like this is important. I feel like Rico Wade did. 
Because, yeah, you know, sure. Rico is a visionary. No, absolutely. So Rico Wade saw the future and decided to name him as such. And from the very beginning, you know, future is claiming that to the core. It's mm-hmm. like astronaut status. You mm-hmm. have Pluto. Mm-hmm. You have the fact that he's calling himself Future Hendrix, which, like, of course, is after Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. who gets cited in the Black to the Future essay that Mark Derry had coined. The thing is about his music is that in addition to, you know, doing some interplanetary travel, I feel like he picks up from where, like, a Missy Elliott sort of, like, you know, left off. Oh, you're going to have to sell this shit. Oh, you're going to have to sell this because, girl. So the way that Missy Elliott was flowing, you know, from the time that she was coming out, she was very avant-garde with it. You know how she Mm. was always sort of blending, you know, the singing with, like, the rapping. She was being very avant-garde in ways that, like, people just weren't used to yet. You know, jaw roll wasn't really, like, on top like that or anything like that. So, like, the way that Missy Elliott was sort of, like, approaching rap songs and really sort of, like, stretching things out and, like, dropping these ad-libs here, like, getting really abstract, I feel like that sort of predicted what Atlanta hip hop would kind of sound like now. And I feel hmm. like I feel like Future is representative of that. I feel like Young Thug is representative of that. You know, like beat beat with the Jeep. Like that's some shit that like, you know, Young Thug could try to pull off now. But we all knew who the source material the was. The significance of the onomatopoeia. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he should have named himself onomatopoeia. We putting the credit on the dog. I want the spaces ain't never gonna come at the earth. They gonna throw a little You charge the fuck for ad if the dog is good. You need to bring it on. Police gonna stop coming through La Mexico. Cause we made the laws. Soon as I got my first check, I was tricky. So I But as long as we're talking about how Missy was proven that the future is female, right? Just even like off of Virginia Beach, you also had Pharrell, who mm-hmm. was one half of the Neptunes. Their label was called Star Trek Entertainment. And for whatever reason, you know, he requests a photo of Carl Sagan in his contract writer. So, I mean, I don't know. It might be a stretch to call him like an Afrofuturist figure as opposed to somebody who's just like a really, who has a really keen interest in space. But um, I think perhaps maybe the most significant connection might be something like a Get Lucky, like where he is teaming with Dat Punk and the reason why he finds that collaboration to be significant in this one documentary he says like the song is like it represents the freedom of all human beings as a more recent contribution you know he is part of the reason why uh the movie hidden figures became a reality because um the movie takes place you know 20 miles from where he grew up in virginia and he went on to not only compose the music with uh, Hans zimmer but he even went on to produce the film just like period point blank So we got to take a pause for the cause. We got to refill the spaceship with 93 grade vibranium. And when we get back, we'll be speaking to the guest of the hour. Back in a minute. Hey, you guys, this is Tank of Tank and the Vengas, And you are listening to Bottom of the Map. 
We are back, and here in Bottom of the Mat, we have beamed up a special guest, Dr. Susanna Morris of Georgia Tech. Associate Professor of English or Literature. Literature, Media, and Communication. What she said at... (laughs) Georgia, Georgia Institute, Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay! Uh, hello. Thanks for having me. We've been talking about like how Afrofuturism is a space of like opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like it's a space of imagining alternative possibilities. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, I want to go straight to the expert. Like, what do you think the significances of Afrofuturism? in popular culture right now? Where do you think this explosion of interest is coming from? Well, you know, Afrofuturism has been around for a long time. Now it's getting its its shine, its moment in the sun. Uh, you know, I'm sure y'all, you know, the, the term was coined in the 1990s, but the phenomenon goes back to the 19th century. I think that lots of things have helped. One, the internet. Mm. And the fact that it sort of collapses borders or can collapse borders. So going back to the 1990s with Alondra Nelson and the Afrofuturism sort of message boards, right? So it was able to bring nerds together, and Mm. particularly black nerds or nerds who were interested in black stuff, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Because there was sort of this idea that black folk can't be nerdy. You know, that we sort of reside in a particular area of cool, which we do, but we contain multitudes, right? And so we can be cool nerds, right? I mean, didn't Megan the Stallion tell us it's going to be a hot nerd fall? That's what's happening now. It's so too damn hot to think about a hot nerd fall. <laughs> hot nerd fall <laughs> oh as a form gosh. of Afrofuturism is something I can live with. I mean, she's into anime and she's... I oh, mean, yeah. She has so. us watching uh, JoJo's Adventure. Right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll add Megan to the to the group, you know. Um, so I think that the internet is part of it and, and sort of the proliferation, you know, in the decades now that we've had Al Gore's internet. So here we are and, you know, able to have community with one another and folks, you know, writers, producers and stuff having that power. I mean, if we look at Black Panther, which I think is our mainstream example mm-hmm. of black of, of Afrofuturism in the public, which I know some people would take issue with, but I'm cool with Black Panther being the gateway to a lot of people's Afrofuturist experience, right? And then we can say, okay, now that we've welcomed you to the good news of Afrofuturism, here's some other stuff that you may not have thought of. Listen to some Sun Ra. You've been listening to Outkast. Low-key, Outkast is Afrofuturist. Mm -hmm. Missy Elliott, like, let's talk about all these folks. So I think that being able to convene lots of different communities, even if you don't have an Afrofuturist book club or a con in your town, you can hop on Instagram or you can hop on Reddit or you can hop on any number of communities and find your path. And then you can, if you're a kid, you can go to Target and there's little Black Panther figurines and action figures and shirts and so on. And so you can see yourself reflected in the cultural movement that way. Mm-hmm. But I think things are a lot more accessible. You don't have to go to that message board, right? It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What interesting notions of the future are you seeing in like maybe more current artifacts sure. of Afrofuturism? So I think that Afrofuturism does a lot of things, but because it's a cultural movement that is in conversation with, you know, current politics and so on, it's a space for black joy. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned Missy Elliott earlier, and so I was thinking about the song Sock It To Me. Which is such a fun song. It's basically about, you know, wanting to get with somebody and having a good time with them. Um, And then in the video, 
her and, and Debrat, who's also on the song, are being chased by these robots in outer space, right? And it's a really funny, which could be scary, right? Could be played for horror, right? Mm-hmm. But it's played for laughs. And not we're not laughing at Missy Elliott, per se. We're laughing at sort of just like, we're in on the joke. Like, we're her. We're Debrat. We're um, riding this sort of like space torpedo on the way to save her and so on, right? And it's a place where someone who's a big girl, dark skin, unapologetically an MC could express herself, right? And I feel like Afrofuturism, particularly the kind of Afrofuturism that I see black women performing, expands that space for black joy, even while there's a political critique. So another contemporary, well, more contemporary example, because Sokka took me 20 years old, but you know, that's mm-hmm. contemporary to me. <laughs> me too. Um, me too. Right? But, you know, Janelle Monet and her most recent visual album, um, Dirty Computer. They drained us of our dirt and all the things that made us special. And then you were lost, sleeping, and you didn't remember anything at all. Yes, it's a story of folks who are being oppressed and being um, attacked because of their sexuality, their gender performance, their race, their class, and so on. But ultimately, it's all, they're also being attacked because they're joyful, right? And they mm. won't adhere to this rigid you know, regime, this sort of um, Gilead-type place that they're um, forced to be in. And they literally break out, you know, and are able to sort of topple that regime in a particular sort of way. And so I think that I see black women again and again again sort of saying yes we might be in this really volatile space and we're agitating for social change but we're also being joyful in a place in a space where we're actually not even supposed to exist right Mm -hmm. visions of the future don't include black and brown people oftentimes right Mm -hmm. you know Um, and they're saying not only do we exist we're central to the proliferation of the future so you you talk about like the possibilities of joy, especially for for women, black women mm-hmm. in these spaces. So two things came to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about uh, a Janelle Monae, for example, mm-hmm. especially earlier performances of Janelle Monae, this idea of like cyborg feminism. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about like how Afrofuturism? kind of extends into that conversation about cyborg feminism, especially with how a lot of black women engage with the idea of technology as a way to free themselves, to Mm -hmm. let themselves be established in this particular way. And I guess the more general question about why is Afrofuturism important in how we think about representation, especially in spaces that are considered to be like majority white or white only, like a science fiction, like Mm -hmm. speculative fiction. Mm So I'll answer your your first question first. I think that Monet is a good example of sort of engagement with feminism and the cyber, or she uses the term android, right? Mm -hmm. And so she's really interested in, like, this idea of the singularity that, you know, um, we're going to be one with um, androids or we'll be one with technology in particular kinds of ways. And these conversations about transhumanism often leave race out in Mm -hmm. interesting ways, right? We're all, we're going to surpass the human and we're going to be something else. And if we think about sociologically, historically, when have black folk, other than in our own communities, been really recognized as fully human, right? We've done the work to do that, but that, in terms of the 
um, the founding of this country or the way that the hierarchy of the nation has been set up until fairly recently, even legally, black folk were not considered full citizens, right? And so I think Afrofuturism is a part of that long history of considering like alternate ways to be human and how whatever that is, that black folk are, are central to, to figuring that out. So Monet does really interesting work around this figure of Cindy Mayweather that she includes in most of her, her her musical canon, right? And she's this android, she's on the run, she fell in love with a human, and so, you know, she's really trying to protect herself. And that becomes a sort of metaphor for black women um, trespassing boundaries, right, and transgressing. Uh, and rather than simply sort of giving up, she's always sort of um, manifesting differently and changing and becoming anew and, and fighting to live another day. Your second question was about the significance yeah. of Afrofuturism. Yes, ma'am. So I think I started to touch on this earlier, but I'm, I'm low-key really interested in doomsday stuff. I think it's because mm. I was raised in the church, and my mother and grandmother were always like, you know. We living in the end of days. We're living in the end of days. <laughs> the day shall be shortened for the elect's sake. And I'm like, oh, gosh, right now? Soon? You know. And, again, we have this sort of millennialism happening. I mean, it happened at the turn of the century where folks were really concerned with Y2K and then 2012. There's this kinds of, you know, human beings tend to be interested in the end, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, again, that end is often very whitewashed, right? And so I think that Afrofuturism provides us um, what we need in this moment of demographic anxiety where the United States is shifting. It's going to be a majority-minority country, right? And we mm -hmm. see a lot of anxiety, and the anxiety is playing out in legislation. It's playing out in the elections. It's playing out in violence and mm -hmm. domestic terrorism and acts of white supremacy. And rather than fold in on that, I think Afrofuturism offers up unapologetic blackness as central to the future. Like, you feel anxiety about becoming a minority? Well, it doesn't assuage that anxiety, right? It offers something beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. There's a space for folks who are not black in Afrofuturism, but it really shows that blackness is important and central and always has been and will always, always be. Always will be, yeah. yeah. Well, I just wanted to know your thoughts about the significance of Afrofuturism and how Southern hip hop shows up for itself and shows up in how we define um, what the significance of futurities, Southern futurities for black and brown folks are? I think it's it's expansive. So a couple of folks that I mentioned, Missy Elliott, Virginia. We're going to count Virginia in the South. Yeah, I know yeah, that's we the base. Okay, 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 I'm making sure. <laughs> she, from, she from the South part of Virginia, so okay, it's cool. all right. Um, two Outcasts, two, I'm thinking, you know, like Fabo, like Spaceships on Bankhead, which is <laughs> my <laughs> jam. No, it's I my mean, husband. He still get excited when oh he hears Scotty. God. I'm like, come on, yeah. sir. Yeah. <laughs> Scotty being me. Look. <laughs> <laughs> That's my jam. So there's some there's a serious sort of thinking through of the apocalypse. There's like the fun, joyful, there's the like I'm on these pills and I'm turning up there's it's as expansive as we imagine Southern music to be, as we know Southern music to be, but I think that you know, I was saying this to someone the other day that these days, because Southern hip hop has caught on and people have grown up on it, when I hear like a Cardi B and No Shade, I appreciate and, and jam to Cardi a lot. But when you hear the beats, it's Southern hip hop. When I hear her, some of her delivery, she is trying, right, mm -hmm. in that particular way. So it just becomes like a template. But a template, I think, is different from a blueprint, mm, right? And I okay. think Southern hip hop offers a blueprint. Come on, and yeah. folks are a template is like a photocopy or Ooh. a ditto, 
Right. Yes, Doc so Morris. So I think that that the Afro the fact that it's oh it's been we did it ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years 20 ago, years twenty five years ago. ago. That's because it's the blueprint. In these last couple of years, there has been a lot of concern about seeing, you know, people of color in science fiction and all of these things. And I'm kind of like, well, why? So, like, two examples come to mind for me. Okay. So the first example that comes to mind for me is when they did this new generation of Star Wars movies. Okay. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, poor. Yeah. Was what, Finn? Kel- Flynn? I mean, Kelly Marie Tran was the... You know, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like she's more recent. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, like when it first came out, like they had like the stormtroopers. You know what I'm saying? And then like you know, I want to say it was Flynn took his helmet off, and folks were like, "The fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "There is such thing as if this is in a universe far, far away, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away, sometime in the future, you would there's gonna be people of color. They might not even be people. Aliens is a color." <laughs> And I mean, Star Trek has been portraying that sort of future for generations upon generations now. You know, from the very first season with uh, George Takei up until, like, you know, the motion picture remake where John Cho is starring in there. We've always had this multicultural future sort of, like, offered to us. And folks want to protest that? That's some bullshit. I was a Trekkie. You know what I'm saying? My mom told us to shut up at 7 o'clock every night to watch Star Trek The Next Generation. (laughs) Right? I mean, like, like besides Ghost, like, that was my first real introduction to Whoopi Goldberg. (gasps) Oh, my God. And I love Whoopi and Star Trek. No, like, I think... Your mom and my dad would have been friends because when my dad wasn't traveling abroad to Korea, like once he came back to the U.S., settled back in a home in Maryland and was still like trying to adjust from the time difference, his mm-hmm. whole ritual was that he would heat up like a microwave pepperoni pizza with like the cubed ass pepperoni and just mm. sit his ass down and watch this go on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I mean, this, you know, yeah. and then, you know, and oh, he was so good. <laughs> no, Captain Cisco was bomb. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. then you have this new, like this new um, era of Star Trek with uh, was it Discovery. Yeah. And um, you have old girl from The Walking Dead who's like the captain now. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So once again, you got people of color in space. Curious to hear your thoughts about, like, what do you think the significance of Afrofuturism is and how we think about, like, marginalized folks? Because I feel like this is double a double thing with Southerners. Like, yeah. this the double marginalization. Any yeah. thoughts on that? I think part of Afrofuturism and its appeal among, like, you know, Southern hip-hop in a post-civil rights South is that it's helping to make existence here on earth a lot more hospitable Mm. i think it's just a way for them to kind of like see themselves like in their own space because i think it would help or embolden anybody to be able to see themselves in the future and to imagine what that is like i feel like that is sort of an empowering exercise in of itself Mm -hmm. i think it's it's a way to use um imagination as an act of resistance yeah i love that you know what i'm saying and that resistance can be fun that resistance can be you know and resistance to that imagination is futile you know what i'm saying so being able to claim a stake in the future that you are creating for yourself is one of the best things about afrofuturism
Thank you for listening to Bottom of the Map, brought to you by WABE and PRX. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help more people find this show. Follow Bottom of the Map on your social media platforms at BOTMPod. Again, that's BOTMPod. Bottom of the Map is hosted by Christina Lee and Dr. Regina Bradley. Produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Edited by Stephen Key. Executive producers, Jan Berry and John Hawes. Ayanna Taylor is our project manager. Our theme music is produced by Smith and Cash. Special thanks to Mike Johns and Lois O.G. Reitzes. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Follow, subscribe, connect. Holla.